Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Uh, On the other side of the world, I think, Jen, where are you at the moment? I am in Hong Kong. So all the way from Hong Kong, we've got Jen Long. Uh, She is the Snap Happy founder for a new type of travel tech startup that marries photography with social impact. Her vision is to start an empathy movement. I love this so much, where vanity can create social good with real income opportunities in developing communities. We're going to hear all about that. She's also a global citizen. I'm excited about this too. Uh, And traces her upbringing in Hong Kong, Vancouver, Shanghai, and has traveled to over 42 countries, photographing underprivileged communities and speaking five languages. Oh, you're doing better than me. Uh, And her stories from the road (laughs) can be seen in the Huffington Post, Vice, Globe and Mail, just to name a few. My goodness, all the way from Hong Kong. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Petra. It's great to have you. Um, so, so fill in the blanks for our, our listeners. What are you really passionate about at the moment in, in work and in life? Mm, I think in life, um, definitely mindfulness have been an overarching theme. Um, and, and I do believe that it's actually the greatest luxury our generation has and need to continue to invest behind. Um, so I've been um, very eager in that. I think... On the work front, um, we built this company about community, content development, and just giving a creative voice to those who don't have access otherwise. Um, But really at the core of all that is that we've just become this generation that's addicted to content and almost a way of self-expression and instant gratification. So we thought if we can't break the wheel, can we do it in a way that actually empower the greater good? Um, And our formula is, hey, you can at least uh, hire a creative anywhere around the world to curate these posts and shots that you could then post. Um, But by doing that, you're actually creating income opportunities in faraway places um, who wouldn't otherwise necessarily have. So there's some kind of driver for you about allowing people from many different backgrounds or or class or situation to be able to uh, showcase their creativity. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's a model where um, you can just go onto the marketplace and you can browse by style budget um, and, and find a local creative, be a photographer or videographer to capture everything that uh, content needs would stir from a family, a couple, um, someone about to propose to just friends on the road, all the way to corporate needs. And I think, you know, content is deeply human. It's just a way of storytelling. It's just the way that currently social media boasts and rewards content. It it becomes this algorithmic push to self-express. But at the very core of it, it was just humans connecting with strangers, telling stories. And we want to bring it back to that through the platform and the technology. 
So exciting. And I, I'm so curious now about what's, what's got you to this point and, uh, you know, what learning you've had along the way. And of course, the mindfulness, let, we'll come back to that. Um, so give us a little bit of context uh, just about how you grew up. What was your childhood like? Uh, do you think your, your parents or the education system kind of set you up for life in the grown up world? Mm. The um, there's this book that I hold on to very dearly. <laughs> um, I think it's called Becoming Inner Child or Inner Child: The Becoming of, um, and it basically that helped me make peace with the kind of upbringing that I had. And I grew up in a family where my dad was a serial entrepreneur. Um, I didn't see him too much. Um, so it's sort of in, in your blood, though. Yes, it really was. And, and I was therefore very turned off by it. Right. I, okay. I, I, growing up, I vowed to be very much on the opposite side. I wasn't interested in economics or finance or starting something of my own. I think partly because I saw the cost of being an entrepreneur so up close in his relationship with the rest of the family. Um, the, uh, the notion of being on the go and we were very fortunate and grateful to have been exposed to flying around and traveling with my family from an early age. So to that extent, I was very, from the beginning, curious, um, about sort of strangers and, and folks and cultures that I don't know about. Um, and then thirdly, I'd say I grew up in a very traditional Chinese household. So that had a very guilt driven mentality around, um, what is good enough, what is accomplishment. And ultimately I think the Chinese aspect of it is that, you know, kids are put on the world to give back to the parents and growing up around sort of those three themes, then seeing the cost of what it took to be an entrepreneur, being deeply curious about things I don't know about. Um, and then also rising to this very guilt driven standard of what's success, Actually, those were the perfect ingredients to then ultimately breed someone who were like, okay, let me go do something that no one else is going to do. Um, and so even if I, you know, rejected that, I think growing up, um, the calling was always there. It's just a matter of time, resource and concept um, before I was uh, ready to dip my toes into the far side, I suppose. But interesting that because you were up close and personal to it, uh, it sort of turned you off. You were you were thinking, I've got to go in. I mean, what was some of the impact of having an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, I think you said, in the household? I think a lot of it has to do with prior priorities. And for, you know, and now that we have a lot more resources and even podcasts like this, we can actually start imagining what does it mean to be a mindful entrepreneur? But back then that wasn't a notion. Entrepreneur just meant you created a lot of money based off of very little resource. And the bigger that that extreme was, the more successful you are. And often that came at the cost of all connections and relationships, right? That's connection to your personal health, to your family, your friends, your loved ones, um, greater community. It's almost at all costs in order to preserve the bandwidth that you have to create this big impact measured by income. Um, and I just felt like, you know, in that generation, especially in the Chinese context, um, those are very heightened. And as a little girl, I just saw that 
you know, different people around the family would would would, would have uh, suffering through that, uh, myself included. Uh, but now at least we're in a generation where we don't have to live in that guilt-driven rhetoric so much anymore, and we can just learn the tools to be a bit more mindful as we do this work. Well, we don't, but there's still definitely a transition time, isn't there, from uh, you know the, the, the conditioning that we've received to being able to mindfully understand new tools and ways of being. Yeah, we we actually recently had a conversation among some friends um, in the VC circle, and you know I think part of this whole ecosystem and also buzz around which rounds you're in and how much money is raised, and it's almost presumed that the bigger the round, the bigger the amount. Somehow you have more street cred, and I, and and we also live in a, a config a configuration where. Um, young folks, right? Folks in early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s are the ones raising these rounds and these amounts of money. And, and a lot of times, you know, if I hadn't gone through, especially the last two years, I don't think I actually even know who I am authentically, my values, my boundaries, and my demons in a way. And then how do you even create your best work without knowing whom you are? And if we're then given copious amounts of money to just create, you have this class of highly productive entrepreneurs who create a lot of financial results, but they're not necessarily rewarded to be mindful by nature of just their age, where they are at, and then this game um, that is VC. So I see that as a deep gap and, and almost unfortunate that you know, it's not about starting something of your own and, and creating a lot of wealth. It's, you should take the time to actually get to know whom you are first before you get, get out there and do your best work. Um, wouldn't there also be an argument to say that you've got to, you know, fail fast and try lots of things in order to help you find out who you are and what your best work might be? Absolutely. But I think fail fast assumes that this is someone who's quite conscious and mindful on these boundaries. Failing fast is easier said than done, especially if you know your your context, your appetite, your, um, you know, the, the limit, the risk exposure that you're willing to take on. That assumes someone has all these boundaries and are mindful as they go through. But in reality, you know, in the beginning, you're just so crowded with the adrenaline of seeing something coming to fruition, maybe some early success. Um, maybe it's uh, pleasing the investors and media in order to deliver some results and ultimately taking care of this team who's working so hard and motivated by this blind vision they're not about to quit. And so when you have all those ingredients mixed in a pot, failing fast and unplugging or moving on or or asking for help, or putting up your hand and saying, you know what, I this is a timeout that's not working, that takes tremendous amounts of self-control and mindfulness, and I think that's where the issue is. Absolutely, and and with with working with uh, entrepreneurs and, and startup founders and uh, within mental health, I've definitely seen the, the knock-on effect, the, the negativity in, in, in burnout or mental health issues, or even on the worst sort of end of the spectrum uh, attempts of suicide. Um, simply because they don't have the tools or the ability to ask for help in order to acquire the tools within that sort of pressure cooker of reality. And there's just so much on the line, right? And the darkest days I remember, it just felt like 
I mean, was it fact or was it, was in it man- manifestation? Yeah. That like, I just feel like everything, every penny, every relationship, every ounce of my waking breath contributed to this thing. And so, you know, if, if, if there wasn't balance in other sort of self-care activities and human relationships, then it was all of not all nothing. The, the good days at work were just good days of the sense of self. And if work was tough, then my self-identity went with that on the worst days. And so, um, I think it's, at the at the core of it, it's just cultivating this mindfulness, and then you're right, learning to fail fast, um, and, and and learning how to fail fast actually. Well, building the resilience around that, so you can be bouncing back up again. Um, so to, let's get, let's get back to you because you're you're hinting at some of the struggles that that you've faced, and you've got the context of your childhood with it sounds like pretty high expectations uh, within mm-hmm. sort of the Chinese culture and within your your family in particular. Um, um, somehow over time, it sounds like you've heard, learned some of this the hard way because we usually do. Um, what got you to the point of your business? And when we talk about uh, the, the idea of adversity and challenges or, or rock bottoms, things that, you know, crisis points that, that make you uh, sort of wake up or, or learn something different, what sort of comes up for you in your story? Mm. Um, I think... Definitely, almost about a year and a half or two years ago, I remember when um, I was fundraising for the first time and, um, you know, as a first time where you can read all these blogs and I jumped on calls and I spoke to various folks that I, I thought were more experienced to get as much context. But at the end of the day, the work was, you know, you're jumping on maybe 10, 11 calls a day, all 10 or 11 of which will say no all of which will pick away at something, some part, whether it's a macro or micro projection of what you're doing, whether it's on you as a team or the trend, whether it's your finances or just your strategy. It, it's just, it's, it's, it was a constant no. And you do that multiply by maybe three to six months, depending on your luck and efficiency. So rejection and isolation. It is completely, you know, just upfront and, while all the more I, I chose the route of not having co-founders, I think having co-founders could at least share the rejection and the burden of which. Um, but but if I was brings sole, new challenges, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think being a sole founder, then I also had to insulate and paint an otherwise pretty picture for the team so they don't feel the stress and the burden of what-ifs. Um, so living in that space of, you know, some of my worst days that just be on the call and, 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 you know, each of them are anywhere between half an hour to, to an hour. And so, uh, that's a full day of just calls and no's and then <laughs> yeah. uh, crying on the floor, like in between these calls to just think, what am I doing? Why am I even trying? Why, why am I even suffering and creating this for myself and what for, for this blind faith that this version of the world will, will happen just because I envisioned it. Um, and did then, you, and did then, you doubt your idea? Absolutely. At every, at every, <laughs> at every no. I think the first wave of no's, you can laugh it off and, and you still have, you know, this gut instinct. Two months, three months roll around and, you know, if you still don't have the round closed, 
and you're getting on that, you know, hundredth call or whatever, and you're looking at this giant Excel of these leads and it's yet another stranger, yet another time zone, yet another set of questions. And they're always insightful. Don't get me wrong. They're always very important feedback that you can then make something of. It's just in the succession of them, you know, it, it, it hits your sense of self and, it just your belief on the why you're even bothering and tolerating the pain to create this version of the future that maybe a small group of people care about on the planet. And um, did you did you have any support? Like you know, here here in London, there there are entrepreneurial sort of groups or or events or meetups or places where you could, if you so chose, uh, interact with people who may be in a similar situation. Not that anyone necessarily admits how hard it is, um, but did you did you have places that you could go to ask for help, whether in the space or out of it? And that was the biggest learning. Right, for there me. we go. <laughs> was, you know, the suffering and the pain only transpired because I went through all of it alone. And it literally was just wiping tears and putting on makeup two minutes before top of the hour and the next set of investors on the video camera and they have no idea that I was probably just bawling and yeah. doing all sorts of <laughs> Up in you there. Know, not mindful activities on the ground. And I um, I think there were a few layers. One was um, sometimes it's tricky to go to these community meetups for entrepreneurs because this fundraising in startup community is so small. And yeah. so there is an element of, well, how, how raw do I, yeah, how raw do I want to show up as? What if this travels around? Um, these people talk and I've had my fair shares of, you know, folks whom I thought were in my court and then ended up not. And so I think going to those community events is a great way to at least see and feel you're not alone. You don't have to share if you're not comfortable, yeah. but just hearing others share and then just seeing others, be other people grind and put as much on the line as you do, I think visually is a first step. The second then for me was I actually went through DBT to learn just distress tolerance so completely for our scratch. listeners. That's dialectical behavior therapy, right? Correct. And, and what and, was the, the purpose of that? Was that to support your own mental health? Yeah, the, definitely. Um, that was the starting point, but I actually highly recommend it whereby it was just a methodical way of learning how to handle stress and being an entrepreneur, you almost have this addiction to pain. Yeah. You wouldn't go on this if you don't not just have the tolerance, but you're like addicted and you get a high yeah. off of that kind of, that kind of roughness. But then it's about, well, how do you learn to tolerate and move through it without necessarily, you know, imploding it in your own personal life or imploding on your team and that for me was literally just working through worksheets and almost rewiring all these fundamental skills that I never really learned based on my upbringing. Um, so that was tremendously helpful. And so, you know, the next batch of no's that I get or the next kind of catalyst and team changes or legal changes, it doesn't rock me as much as it did before I learned the skills. So how did you uh, learn about that therapy though? How did you sort of, what was your moment of going, fuck, I don't have all the skills here. I need to find something that's going to teach me how to ma manage stress. 
I literally was on the ground of this villa that I moved cities for. I had already run away from where my home city was in order to give myself a break and try to create from there. Um, I wasn't good to myself in health. I wasn't taken care of. Um, I had only toxic relationships in my life and whether that was in health, uh, in, um, personal life, in relationship, in uh, team, I was surrounded by, by toxic personalities and they, and I thought if I'm the common denominator to all these things happening all at once, surely it's not chance. Surely I'm showing up a certain way that seems weak, that seems like prey. And I'm giving permission to these groups and individuals to take advantage. And I can't play victim other than I need to go and learn why this is the case. Stop this pattern um, and get going. Um, and I was on Bali. So Bali was already very in tune to all these different remedies, right? From uh, you can go do everything from past life reading to Reiki to crystal to I'm uh, just speaking to a local guru to complete like detox of the body. Like you choose on the menu, someone somewhere on the island did it. Um, and I just gravitated towards DBT because it was skill based. It was it felt methodical. Um, there was a journey and there was resource and books and worksheets. So in my entrepreneurial mind, it just felt the <laughs> most you grounded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was progress. <laughs> and it's infused with mindfulness, isn't it? As part Absolutely. of what they suggest. Mm. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, a lot of the suffering just begins and ends by giving it permission to be suffering. And, and again, being an entrepreneur is so dark and alone in so much, uh, so many of that time that it's almost just letting go and, and knowing why are you doing this, whom you are as an individual, um, and not getting caught up so much from the day-to-day grind, because that's always going to be there. You're trying to create something from nothing. So the grind will always be there. It's just how do you respond to it? And those mindfulness principles really just you know, helped me with a different experience. It's not to say there are no bad days. Of course, not. of course, of course. But your response to them um, gets a bit more balanced and mellowed out. And so from that journey, how did that slowly change who was around you or your reactions to things? Like, how is your life different now from what it was then? I think the first is just definitely getting rid of the toxic shame and guilt that rests within. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, you don't choose to start something of your own if you don't think somehow you're a high achiever, you can do more than anyone else. And the biggest critic is usually then within. It's not necessarily from your investors or your team or your family. Most people just want you happy and you know, this guilt that I'm not good enough or I'm not fast enough or I'm not whatever enough. I think that is still a day-to-day reminder that it's okay to, to not live up to whatever benchmark I had set up for myself to be, because that's not the benchmark to measure happiness by anyway. (laughs) It really isn't, is it? (laughs) It really isn't. And sometimes it's just it literally is just labeling it. And then just, you know, when I see that thought bubble comes in or that icky feeling just bubbles up from within or one email that starts to be a trigger, it's just saying, you know, I'm going to let this go. 
I'm not going to give permission to shame because I have nothing to be shameful for. I'm just going to let this go. Um, so I think that that was a big shift. Um, the other was definitely just learning how to be a human being first before an entrepreneur. And I struggle with this still day to day. There's so much that goes on all the time. So to be able to mindfully react uh, to be sorry to be able to mindfully respond rather than react yeah. it's not easy um you get these emails and then you get somebody complaining about something on the phone and then the next thing you know you know you're walking into like a meeting with your accountant and they're about to just drop another bomb with you and yeah. and then you go on social media and then oh like somebody else somebody else is 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 is, is, is sharing a feedback about something and so in that kind of hyper triggering environment it's so easy to just react and, and react very hard. And the defense comes up of, well, you have no idea how lack of sleep I have and how much I've put in yeah. to even How create. much it means, yeah. Correct. Like how much skin is in the game? But truth be told is the other person isn't experiencing the same volume of trigger. They're just going about their day and yeah. likely genuinely thinking, hey, this part of your service sucks and I'm just letting you know. Um, and so learning then to respond, you know, whether you do that systematically, let's say carve out only certain times of the day when you will look into emails and social media, et cetera, or when you do just mindfully remembering that you don't have to feel like you're getting attacked. You don't have to respond so defensively, but that there is another human being on the other side and often just being able to empathize, hear them out, acknowledge whatever they're sharing, that's enough to at least then respond and tell them whatever truth that you want. And then, you know, that's internal communication, that's client communication. Um, and I, I definitely am still very present to that kind of empathy um, moment to moment. Because it sounds like, the, the change began within with your own learning, development, and putting some things in place, but that the idea of empathy and, and working from a different sort of energy has, has also impacted you. How has that sort of impacted your business coming from that different place that's less reactive and more responsive? Yeah, at the very least, you're more long-term um, on Outlook. And that's not even reacting to, um, let's say, day-to-day -day what competitors are doing, which ones are new, which ones are now in market, and what, are the, what campaigns are they running, who are yeah. they working with in, in endorsement. It's just rising above the noise to remember the long-term goal of the why. Um, I think within team, within the team setting, it's also being mindful that teams all have personal lives and their, you know, mandate on the planet is not to create whatever KPI and result and product that they're contracted for. They're human beings first. And so if some things don't get done or it's not done the way that you want to, or by the timeline that you had in mind, it's learning to let go a little bit so then your team can be humans and take care of their personal lives to come back stronger. Of course, there's still a fine line of, well, when do you give feedback when someone is underperforming? And I think, you know, that's where that, that's still definitely work and awareness. Um, but just allowing not only your own some slack, but just 
empathizing to your team having personal lives also. Um, and then lastly, I think it's just by nature of what we do, you know, ultimately we didn't create this so then people can get more Instagram likes and more followers and folks can show off that they can afford to travel the world or have this um, distinguished lifestyle. It's none of that. It's actually just creating job opportunities via creativity in faraway places in the world. And so, uh, you know, if, if, if a particular creative of ours in rural Indonesia or Thailand have not yet had professional training and customer service in the way that they communicate uh, their mm. creative works or set their price, it's so easy as a business to, to just expect them to arise to those standards, but rather it's a good reminder that, hey, we should actually put in some training materials and videos and guides in order to help elevate our community instead of expecting them to sort of function around first world efficiencies already. So there's an amazing uh, just sense of, of the vision and the why and the, the wider impact that, that you're having in the world, but also coming at it from... What I'm noticing is you're, you're leading by example or, or trying to in the best way that any human can, which is uh, how do you look after your own mental health, your, your well-being, your own balance, while also driving forward to, to the vision. Um, that's the sense I'm getting anyway. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's still definitely a daily always, right? <laughs> journey, right? It's not like, oh, it's done. It's, I love how I, I have, um, I, I speak regularly with my therapist and bless her. One of the things that she said was, you know, having these mental tools, whether it's a structured therapy, whether speaking to someone, whether it's meditating, reading content, watching content, listening to content, whatever your medicine is, that's that's just going to the gym for your mind. Absolutely. And it's the same as if you'd go to the gym to lift weights in order to be able to, you know, climb through stairs and like lift boxes when you need to move. If you choose to be an entrepreneur, you're constantly walking up stairs and lifting boxes. So the only muscle that can help you do that though in that case is your mind. So you have to go to the gym to strengthen your mind to be able to do the work. And so what does this look like in practice? So once you learned some of the tools, what, what are the, the routines or habits that you try to put in place in order to sustain that sort of mind gym? Yeah, I have um, a self-care toolbox that um, some are non-negotiable, some are ones that I pull out on days when you know I've just really lost the feel. Yeah. Um, the non-negotiables, um, definitely a daily mantra to myself. Um, again, that's just starting the day free of the guilt. Um, it's so easy sometimes to the first thing in the morning, you wake up and you open your inbox and right. <laughs> this, this, and this shame and toxic guilt just starts creeping in naturally. And so just opening the day, repeating this mantra of who I am and why I'm special, I think that helps to uh, fire it to trigger my mind. Um, meditation, I try. Some days I can do longer. Some days I do shorter. Some days I don't even at all. And so um, I try my best to give that quiet time uh, to just ground. Um, I speak to my therapist um, at least once a week, if not once every other week. Um, and then I am actually still in DBT, um, and, and I, it's, it's almost just recurring. I don't really even mind what module it's on or what part of that program it's progressed to. I just keep staying on it because whatever the topic is, whether it's something that I've learned or not, 
it always has some meaning and purpose the week that we're going through it. (laughs) Isn't it funny how that happens? (laughs) Yeah, it's just like such a great uh, weekly reminder. It's almost like a weekly topic of what I'm supposed to focus on. So it helps reinforce your, your learning. Completely. Yeah. And lastly, just journaling. I think that's so important at the end of the day um, to give thanks to, you know, three things regardless of what had happened um, to choose gratitude. Yeah. Um, and then also having a safe space to then just download all the other crap that you couldn't, you know, work through during the day because you were just jumping from meetings to meetings. Uh, allowing that space and time to work through. Um, then I think that's a pretty mindful day, at least in my books. Amazing. So what's, what's in store for the future? How, how's the, the business going? Uh, how, uh, what's your trajectory moving forward? Hmm. I think the, our benchmark of growth is just the geographic region and number of creators that we can help and enable. So there's always more, there's always more regions to bring on. There's always, uh, more tools. So beyond photography, then expanding into videography and something, what we call live photos, um, which is just a fancy way of explaining that you can get your event photos instantly, almost like the iPhone experience, but just from the camera. And so, I think it's still constantly you know, finding f- new frontiers um, and challenging. Um, but, you know, the why ultimately is just helping more creatives make more money easily. So as long as we do that, then, um, you know, the team is taken care of. And, and I think we feel fulfilled in what our vision is. Where, and where are you usually based? What's your, your country mm. or your business? What's the HQ? Yeah, so we're based here in Hong Kong. Um, the team does sit between uh, Thailand and Pakistan. Um, and then we uh, I try to spend as much time as possible uh, down in Bali um, just for my own mindfulness and spirituality that, you know, it's the one place I had endured so much and it's the one place that always serves me some truth. Um, if I didn't already know within, it, it mirrors right back. And so I really appreciate uh, being able to go back there away from the hustle and bustle um, every so often. Amazing. Um, and so if uh, someone is, you know, in their, say, early 20s and beginning the entrepreneurial game um, and driving themselves and maybe pushing themselves to some of those uh, darker points that you've experienced uh, where it just feels like it's not going to work or you should jack it all in or that, that sort of intensity, what advice would you give to them as just the, the very first step in order to move themselves forward to a more balanced present state? I think the, truly the first sentence that comes to mind is just don't even feel bad about it. Okay. Don't even. Oh, that's good. That's wise. <laughs> like just don't like you know, regardless of whatever tools and journey and next steps and what you decide and what you don't decide, whom you're going to call mm-hmm. was going to be said. Like aside from all that, this icky, gross feeling within of just being like, why am I even here? And it's mostly negative. Yeah. It's actually acknowledging that it feels negative and then giving permission to not even feel bad about it. It's it's part of this work, and, and I don't think this feeling actually completely goes away whether you're running just starting in early 20s or you're running your sixth business that's so much bigger um, by the end of you know your 50th. Like, it doesn't yeah. – that's not – the feeling will never go away. It's how you – 
respond to that feeling and how much weight you permit it. And you can choose to amass preemptively all these resources that we spoke of, whether that's a a safety support system in your friends and family or larger than that in other entrepreneurs, mentors, or even larger than that, you go and seek actually methodic um, mindfulness tools. You speak to a therapist, um, you meditate, any of those, you know, you choose your own journey. That's preemptive. And then when you're in the thick of it, once you can acknowledge to not try to feel so bad about it, then I think it's just like being patient and and letting it flow because it always it'll always flow. It'll always materialize. It's just being patient in those darkest hours to let it just pass. Um, I, I love surfing. And so the analogy I use is it's just you see all these waves coming in the waves are probably battling you and, and if they not if they haven't knocked you already off your board, they will. But it's just observing that the waves are just coming and they're just coming and you're not attaching so much weight to it. And hopefully in due time the waves pass and you see it with a bit more clarity. Amazing. Jen, thank you so much for your time. If people want to uh, find your, your website or uh, follow you online, where can they find you? Yeah, they can go over to Wandersnap, that's spelled uh, W-A-N-D-E-R-S-N-A-P, anywhere on Facebook, Instagram, um, and our URL is wandersnap.co. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. We'll add all of that into uh, the show notes. Uh, You are an inspiration as far as looking after your your own mental health while growing a phenomenal idea and a phenomenal business. Thank you so much for your time all the way from Hong Kong. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.